0: Before we get started today, the Arabian Horse Community mourns Lurie Fletcher Powell. To all of the members of the Powell family, Silver Aspen Ranch, and everybody who knew Lurie, our hearts go out to you. You're in our thoughts, in our prayers. I was honored to have Lurie on this podcast as a guest just about a year ago, and it was an absolute joy. We're going to miss you, Lorray, but we know that you are always going to be with us with your memory to bring light to our halls. We welcome you to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. We Love Arabian Horses has a simple goal, to promote the Arabian breed to those outside of our community, moms, dads, and kids of all ages, and of course, horse lovers from every walk of life. Thank you for listening. This episode of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast is sponsored by Markel. Markel is the insurance with horse sense. If you'd like to learn more visit MarkelInsurance.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-L Insurance.com. And let them know we sent you.
1: Well, hello, everybody. This is Paul Costello with We Love Arabian Horses. And today we're thrilled to have Ellie Troutman join us on our podcast. Hello, Ellie. Hey, good morning. Well, listen, we are excited to talk to you because you've got a lot of great stories about your life with Arabian Horses, both in the past and some big plans for the future. We always start with our interviews like yourself, um, asking you a little bit about your passion for Arabian horses, how you got started with horses, and how your passion led to where you are today.
2: Well, I would love to tell you about that. It started pretty early. Uh, My family had horses all the way back into the 50s in Chicago, and there's a lot of history there, but mostly with the American Saddlebred. So long story short, my folks divorced in the 70s and uh it got a little skimpy as a lot of divorces you know <laughs> a lot of that happens so yep. i was riding my bike one day um and with the divorce we couldn't keep horses you couldn't afford the horses uh we were with my mom and i'm riding my bicycle delivering newspapers i'm about 12 and there's a lady in the neighborhood Fun Valley Arabians in Rushville Indiana she drove this amazing two door lincoln continental that was about the size of a river barge And she pulled up, and we had known her through 4-H, which we were involved in. And she said, I know you love horses. Would you like to come to Fun Valley? And honestly, the rest is history. (laughs) I kept that paper out for 10 years to pay for that horse thing. And we showed every county fair dry lot carnival in the state of Indiana with those Arabians. And we just had a ball. So everything, any horse she had, Arabian horse, um, we we did it all. Western, Saddle Seat, Drive, and that's where I got it all. They were really good um, local horse people with a great reputation. So I'm going to go with Ann Spicer and Fun Valley back in go. the 70s. And that's my kickoff and start and no arena, no fancy stuff, training them from scratch. And that's what you really call grassroots. So there's there's my kickoff.
1: Well, I think I remember so many of us kids back in the day, we'd go to 20 little one day horse shows back in our backyards at home. Some of them were rated, and some were not. And we showed that one horse in like 27 classes. (laughs)
2: Well, and what we look for is we, there used to be a deal in the Arabian horse industry, and maybe it still exists, maybe it doesn't. But when you were chasing qualifications, you could accumulate B shows. There were yep. something called B shows. And if you got enough Bs, you could go A, then regional. But we only got to go to A shows if we showed well enough, not just because you had the points. So she was a stickler for all of this, uh, you know, details. And we had yeah. to be good enough. And it was an honor, I'll tell you. If we got to Indianapolis to Region 13, uh, we we were something. Because back then, there it wasn't divided up like it was. You know, as far right. as the youth and the amateur and, and all of the things. So you, you had to be uh, pretty competitive.
1: So it, it was great. Well, and just so people know who are newer to the breed, back then, the years that Ellie's talking about, Um, the amateur class was all amateurs, junior exhibitors. It was just one class called Amateur Western Pleasure. And it didn't have the, they did have some junior exhibitor classes back then, but they didn't have these separations like they do today.
2: Exactly. So we, we, uh, that was the time when there was a, uh, I I could name you a million Arabian horse trainers that were in in Indiana at that time. And they were all good. You know, so it was a, it was a bit of a, uh, a brawl to even get those qualifications or, or be honored to go. And fortunately, I, I did get to do a couple of those.
1: So, real quickly, you're about, you're, what age were you then? And you were showing them with your brother as well?
2: I showed, well, I'm, I hate to say this, but I'm a little bit older than, uh, that pup. Uh, so I started at 12 with her and I stayed with Fun Valley until I was about 22. So I okay. said 10 years. JT's six years younger. He come up behind us. He always went to the shows and helped us and um was involved. You know, just good set of hands. JT's a big boy. So uh we capitalized that, uh, his wrestling career and his football and his friends. So they did a lot of moving us into horse shows and so forth. So uh you probably wouldn't appreciate that. But there you go. He, he got the hands on well, start,
1: too. Just so everyone knows, Ellie Troutman is the sister of J.P. Keller, who many of you know is a very well-respected Western pleasure and um, trainer for you know amateurs and adults and um, kids. Absolutely, he
2: is a great trainer and far exceeded all of us. <laughs> we all had a little hand in horses and and doing, and uh, he's very very talented, and we're super proud of him. I mean, what a what a great uh, and I obviously watched his career my whole life, not just because we're related. But because JT came in when I moved over, we'll segue into what happens at 22. So Charlie Vaughn, uh, he's a reigning horse guy, amateur, that really could have been a professional. He was a lawyer, uh, had a lot of history in our area. And JT came on with me when I started working with Charlie. And then that segued JT into meeting, uh, Brian Scoggins, Jody Strand. So so that's where the the road came to a fork is uh and we went two good directions. Not not like, oh, we separated and went our separate ways. He went on to really excel into some of those great uh you know, she was with a lot of really great trainers and got that roots based. And I stayed with Charlie in fact, oddly enough, I still have a horse of Charlie Vaughn's. He's ninety three years old, I believe. Still reigning horses, not the Arabians, but the quarter horses. But you guys would remember him in the 80s as winning the Nationals in the amateur and open at U.S. with those that Tykosha. Uh, Some Mm -hmm. great horses. Some fun stories there, you can imagine. We won't go there because I'm not going to tarnish my reputation.
1: Just kidding. (laughs) Well, there you go. Or JT's. So so today you um, own a farm. And just a quick note both you and JT, what, 30, 40 years later, are still in the business and very deeply involved. And I think that it goes to show for people like y'all and myself and a lot of folks that we've been around for, you know, 50 years now.
2: So I had a, a period of time where I worked for Russ Roden, and Russ Roden was a really great Western guy over in Illinois and the St. Louis area, worked for Red Buyers, And Russ told me one day, he said, uh, the, the most meaningful thing in the Arabian horse business that will give you longevity is always staying involved. Not just training and showing, but staying involved and promoting the breed in any way you can. That's how you have longevity. And I, I believe that to be true. Russ has been gone darn near 20 years now. Uh, 22 to be exact. And that still rings in my mind is stay involved.
1: Well, and I think that marketing conversation we're going to get to a little bit later, but that's kind of an important part of all of our aspects in in our involvement with the breed is we share what you love. And I think that's what he was talking about. And you get involved with it so you know what you're talking about.
2: Absolutely. And it does have, we all know, I always, uh, when I do a lot of interviews in, in different genres, uh, I'm out front here in Kentucky with a lot of just other things, as you know. And so that's that's one of my deals is that I am passionate
1: about this. Well, we're and- going to get to that a little bit in a minute. Why don't you, tell us about your farm, Windy Meadows Farm, and you're based in Lagrange, Kentucky. Tell us just a little bit of a, a snippet of what you're doing there.
2: Yeah, you're going to love this. So I am Windy Meadows, and that is the original Windy Meadows. The Griffins, who now still have a Windy Meadows in Oklahoma, this was their farm during Lazma. Now it was not part of Lasma. It was a what we call a satellite farm and uh the big name you'll remember is Jim Tossis he designed this place he he was the driving force talk about passionate about the Arabian horse industry first trainer to have the mare national champion and stallion national champion in the same year so goes back lots of history windy meadows uh i've been there my husband and i he's owned it 30 years uh he bought it after the Lazma. Uh, shut down and a lot of that went up for public auction 30 years for him 18 for me it's as beautiful as it ever was 150 stalls uh, just a really beautiful place to call home you guys remember all those signature barns tongue and groove oak and rock and Rod Iron yeah. Fixtures, it was the deal. So that's Windy Meadows, and it's still there. I renamed it. It had a couple different names, took it back to Windy Meadows, because every time I met with somebody, they're like, oh, yeah, you're talking about Windy Meadows. Yeah, what go are you doing there now? So what we're doing there now is I've been involved in several different things, including, we'll talk about it, movies and tourism and weddings, events. We still have Arabian horses. We still breed a couple. Uh, kind of in business with JT and Anne. Uh, Slate A, Onyx, we have uh, foals by them uh, expecting some foals. We're doing a little work so they can send their mares to Kentucky because they're in Arizona. So we have that. I have a riding program uh, that is in Windy Meadows. It's Bethany Edwards riding lessons. She uses a lot of Arabians in the lesson program, including mine. I'm limited on time to show, uh, but we still have those programs, bringing kids in. We just finished up a week at horse camp, and I'm always a person that promotes a trainer trying to come up. So we have the place and the space and the time and the education. Uh, we love to help uh, somebody coming up in the industry. So that's fantastic. the Arabian part of it, still going
1: strong. That's fantastic. Well, it sounds like you got your hand in a lot of aspects of the breed and the promotion and the, the lesson programs and um other things as well that's the breeding so that's fantastic
2: thank you yes we you know it never gets out of your blood i tell people it's a little bit like a gambling addiction <laughs> you're always waiting for that next big great thing yeah. uh you're going to pull that lever you're going to put the money in and uh you know we've all come out a winner because we're still in it
1: so switching topics just a little bit we have spoken numerous times about marketing and you're doing so much great work there at windy meadows and i really want to share with others what you're doing because so many of the things you and I've spoken about are easy to replicate anywhere you're located. So that kind of led from the opening with you, got involved with movies and several celebrities. And why don't we start with the movies and the celebrities um, first and then how that led into the tourism.
2: You got it. So the thing I could tell everybody out there, whether you've been in this business 40 years or you're just getting started, is branding and marketing. People think that's for a corporation or they think that's for something out further. That's not a horse farm. That, that couldn't be further from the truth. So my deal is branding Wendy Meadows. It's a brand, it's a brand, it's a brand. I'm a published author. It's the publishing company is Wendy Meadows. Everything's Wendy Meadows. So with the movie, when they Googled looking for site locations and they came out, it was a, a really great fit. And John Boyd, uh, is very active and hands on. So when he came to the farm and he actually, well, I mean, we work in cowboy hats and cowboy boots and, you know, we ride horses every day. It, it became a little bit of Hollywood for him. And so those are all long story short. Uh, he chose Windy Meadows for the Hallmark movies and some other buildings that I owned and got to ride every day. Uh, he's well into his eighties and hadn't ridden since uh, a, Oh, gosh. He had a few movies that he wrote in. And so he and I became really good friends. We see stuff the same. <laughs> and so we hit it off. And four movies later, uh, three through Hallmark, Wendy Meadows is on those credits. And we keep putting that out to the public. For and those also, who don't
1: know, who are you talking about, John?
2: John Boyd. Uh, so Angelina Jolie's dad, or. If you're old enough, the Midnight Cowboy and um, Deliverance. And then James Conn, Bo Derek, Terry Polo, Mark Fan, you'll recognize a lot of that. And so we did all the animal coordination for that. That means every horse or animal you see in those movies, that's me coaching, training, uh, and, and doing
1: those things. And some of those things also included them having exposure to Arabian horses.
2: All day long. Almost every horse I could get in on there. Uh, We're my Arabian horses because we, we are, everybody says it they have a connection to their horse. No, we really have a connection to our horse because I know that if he's sitting on WN Silver Moon, which is Luna, and you're going to land a helicopter behind her, we're going to make that happen. So my, my strongest allies on my team are my Arabian horses. They have the stamina to be on set all day. Uh, a lot of mine are halves. You know, my national champions were half Arabians, but uh I love them, love it all. And the half Arabians are part of that, uh, you know, what we call our breed, the Arabian sure. half. So having those horses on board gave that stamina. It gave, the halves gave the color. We used our buckskin. We used our black horses. Um And I know because some of them have been my lesson horses, that trust. And that's where I'm at with my horses, especially my Arabians, is the loyalty. And they're, they're going to film in the dark. They're going to film with a the wolf. They're going to film wherever I say and never going to back down. And I got 80 year old people on these horses. So yeah. I can't make a mistake. I don't have a chance to redo this. Hollywood doesn't always understand horses. Cue the horse. Make him eat grass. Uh, those, those are intense situations. And I, I if I hurt an American treasure like John Voight, uh, I'd be on the tabloids not gonna happen
1: <laughs> yeah well and, and he Bo enjoyed, Derek got very involved with you in different aspects of the farm yes
2: absolutely and they still call they still ask after their horses um Bo Derek, you know covid messed us up she loves the to racehorses too coming to kentucky so uh we i promised her we'd go do something racing soon but they became family along with james Kahn, so james Kahn got to ride the the black horse luna in the second movie, and he stayed on the horse the whole time. He almost couldn't walk. He's got a really bad back. And he asked for almost every scene to be on that black horse, the Arabian, uh, the half Arabian. And it was he wanted to take her home to California. And it was really great, the Bond. I have seen many pictures of him just sitting with her and her head in his lap and thinking about when he was a rodeo star back in the 50s.
1: So that's really, really was cool. And it,
2: it, it meant a lot. Well,
1: that's fantastic. And thanks for that backstory. Um, let's switch now to tourism. So let's talk about the tours that you do and the other things you do with the tourism in, in your local market.
2: So we hit that again with branding uh, tourism. There's a director, uh, her name's Kim, came to me. She said, These farms are beautiful. We need to open these gates, let people come in. Around about 2008, you know, I always tell people on these tours, I give my guided tour. 2008, we all know what happened. The housing market crashed, stock market crashed. And if you ever want to know how a horse person is doing in the business, you follow the horse market and you follow the stock market. So in 2008, I had to kind of rethink things. And when tourism came, I had 178 head of horses,
1: let's back up,
2: in 2008. So I had to rethink how to keep all these people employed and how to keep this farm going for this longevity. And it was tourism. We opened the gates we have we had uh, 2,000 FFA kids that come by tour bus in the fall when, when FFA is closed. We do senior tours, history tours, you name it. Thousands of people come through Windy Meadows, and we do promote the Arabian Horse and the movie Horses, and it all goes hand in hand. We really work hard to dispel the rumors, Um, and and all of those things.
1: So one, who who is the person that's set set up with you at the tourism in your local area? Who who would they be, if someone wanted to replicate this, who would they be calling?
2: You should have a county tourism director and a board, especially Indiana. Uh, I'd have to look for you, but Kentucky, there's some form of tourism. So if you're close to a big city, there's definitely one. But there is some kind of tourism that's funded by um, sales tax and innkeeper's tax. So wherever there's hotels, Airbnbs, uh, cabins, anything that rents, your county gets revenue from innkeeper's tax. And that is to be done, uh, to be used to promote your tourism in your town.
1: That's right. So just as a clarification, there's tourism boards, in all kinds of um, levels. So you've got your local, like county, you might have city, then you got a bigger city, like Houston would have one in, you know, Brookshire, but they'd also have one just in the county. Then if you keep yep. going up the ladder, you've got a state the one, state. So it's yep. the state of Texas. So, you know, it, there's also ones based on industry and agriculture and other things like that. So for the tourism options, um there are quite a few depending on where you are and how populated it is. So anyway, that's how the people would get connected if y'all That is correct.
2: To- and it's super important because you may have money laying there that could be used for promotion, uh that you don't know. And exactly. so we get involved in your and I'm very involved in my county all the way, not just the, the tourism is beautiful. That's like a beautiful flower, everything's great. Come to our county. But I'm also involved with animal control. And I work a lot of really strong cases uh through animal control and the Kentucky state police. So I run the gamut and I make myself known in a good, positive way. I'm available for everybody, not just Rosie tours, but you, you know, this week we've worked a, a horrific barn fire. Uh, about three months ago, I worked a neglect case and those horses are now at my place. So You can get involved in your county, state, region, just like you can in the Arabian horse business. You can get local, you can get regional, national, and globally. And I suggest you do that.
1: Well, I think all that's good. So let's just say now that you're hooked up with your county and the tourism, and and what are you doing? And I'm going to set this up a little bit. We know that you've got a relationship with them, and they're bringing people out on scheduled tours that you set up. Tell us what it is, how it works, what you're giving them when they get to the tour, kind of just the overview of that.
2: Yes, so we have two ways. One is through the tourism. They schedule. They do our scheduling. They call and ask if we're available because we may be at a horse show or somewhere else. They bring the group out. I've set up a place they can have lunch. They get off the bus, and I'm a, I'm a numbers person, so I'm going to tell you we're at $20 ahead and when a busload of 50 show up, that's a thousand bucks takes me a 45 minute walking tour and then you can stay and have lunch so it is money making it is informational people can come back and take a private tour you can actually call me and get a tour if i'm available it doesn't have to be a bus because some people are like oh no i can't have a miller's tour bus come in you can have 10 people you can have a shuttle we did a big hospitality during the derby um big as in it was a really nice uh, farm to table so there's there's a million ideas I could throw at you with wine pairing. Get people to your farm that's the that's how it works and charge people people want to know so the tour is a day in the life of what we do. so if we have the stall cleaners in, this is what we do. If we have the farriers, and we just give a brief talk on the history, the architecture, the horses, the movies, and all of that. Uh, We don't spend a lot of time of how much stuff we've won because I don't think people really care about that as much. But we spend a lot of time on how the horses live if they go outside. And again, dispelling those rumors of containment and abuse and all of those things like, no, my, my horses go outside. They have a window. You know, all of these things that people don't
1: understand.
2: And so we give a lot of information.
1: Okay. So I want to hit on two quick topics and I'm going to kind of just repeat, but two, two key things here. One, you're putting many people, um, busloads full in front of Arabian horses. Two, right? And then secondly, yeah. you, you are making money while you do it. They're paying you a thousand dollars per bus to come uh-huh. here, which takes you about an hour. So you yep. could have one a week. We could have five a day. It just depends on how many get booked up. So this is a revenue producer as well.
2: Absolutely. It really is the glue that holds some stuff together. You know, a lot of a lot of horse trainers, bless their hearts, are running up and down that road, trying to make the haul of money, trying to do the deal. And in this way right now, that that's problematic. Now, I'm not running up and down the road. They're coming to me and we put on a little show. It doesn't have to be big. If if Bethany's out uh, with her Arabian horses riding and giving a lesson, we walk right in there. And sometimes we schedule it. Hey Bethany, I need you and five riders to be out on these horses so they can see. Then we allow them to ask questions. Then we give out business cards. Then we ask them to come back. Then they want to uh like us on Facebook. We have a whole page we give them. Follow us on every form of social media. And we sell them books and we sell them t-shirts. I'm a I'm a numbers girl and I'm I'm going to make this work because financially it looks Real good, and it's not hard. It's what I know, and they'll ask the crazy, "How how many months does it take to have a baby horse? How long do they stay on their mom?" It it goes on and on and on. It it's really, uh, and it's therapeutic for me. I'll tell you because I miss showing. I'd love to put my sequins and rhinestones on and throw a leg over one of JT's phenomenal horses, but I'm building a a little different kind of empire, and uh, I know I'll get back to it. But it is nostalgic for me. I miss giving riding lessons, but I can go out there and stand and be proud of the path that I've carved that people can get in and do it. Uh, And I I always joke, I'm making money so I can buy a real good horse.
1: They're kind of expensive. (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, Ellie, you've given a lot of information and it's very, very helpful. I'm going to propose right now that if anybody is interested in chatting with Ellie more, um, that We Love Riding Horses will host a podcast, a Zoom, like a Zoom webinar, and we'll get a time set up with Ellie, and I'll host it, and we'll just have a live Q&A because I know some of you out there that are with your own farms or the club, you could do the exact same strategy with clubs and your local horse shows, right? So, oh,
2: absolutely.
1: Well, and if anyone wants to, just send me a DM message through Facebook or contact me one way or another, and I'll put together a list of who wants to attend, and then we'll uh, we'll set a time up with Ellie. Would that be okay, Ellie? You got it. It would be my pleasure. And I really appreciate you sharing all those details is there anything that we've forgotten
2: you know i want to touch on just one thing i have a program uh it's called rest assured Uh, it is for people who are terminally ill or having uh, life-altering medical issues that cannot take care of their horses we allow them to be surrendered to Windy meadows Uh, if the person transitions or passes away we rehome that horse to their specifications if uh, they beat the odds and, and are well again, they come get their horse and there's no charge. So uh, if you want to know more about that, it's it's real important for people to rest assured when you're going through the hardest parts of your life, you need to not know. Uh, you need to know that your horse is cared for.
1: So that's an so, important part. And I assume that's a national program that anyone anywhere could get connected to.
2: It, it is my personal program and it's, you just call me, and we we brought horses in Arabian stallion from New York. Uh, both his people passed away, and we got him uh, through the church uh, to pay to get him to Kentucky to live the rest of his life. So it's a gotcha. it's a real important program, and we'd love to chat about that a little bit
1: as well. Okay, cool. Well, we'll cover both topics. If anyone wants, make sure to reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook or any other number of ways these days. Um, Ellie, uh, if anyone wanted to reach out to you direct. Other than through Facebook, what is your email address?
2: I'm Wendy Meadows 1309 at
1: AOL, and that's
2: Wendy, W-I-N-D-Y, Meadows 1309 at AOL.com. That's how that's old perfect. I am. I still have an AOL. Yeah. Going well,
1: on. hey, thank you so much. It's been a fantastic interview, very informative, and um, hope hope you have a great day. Thank you again.
2: Absolutely. You do the same, Paul. Thanks for all you do. This is a really important platform. And I hope people will get involved and reach out to you as well, because without these platforms, all of us um, are not as easily connected.
1: Well, we thank you. And we love Arabian horses. Thanks you too. We appreciate your support. And I love Arabian horses and thank you.
0: Hey, this is Austin director of the, we love Arabian horses podcast. Thanks for listening. If you want to share ideas, feedback or want to get involved, send me an email. At Austin at We